Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, by definition, a living culture is always changing. Adopting new ways of saying perhaps the same thing. But its mode of expression speaks more to a current moment. And uh, so I'm going to get on that train on this auspicious occasion and wish you all going forward that you may rot in hell and Happy New Year. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Harry Shearer, saying, may you rot in hell and Happy New Year, and welcoming you to this edition of the show. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's not just Tesla. Toyota owns a car maker in Japan, Daihatsu. You're welcome. It has now closed all four of its plants till the end of next month, January, because... It had falsified safety tests. That's all. Nothing more nor less than that. Daihatsu admits, according to the BBC, it had been manipulating safety tests on 64 models of the cars it makes for three decades. Who's been sleeping? Hans is headquarters in Osaka, or Osaka, Japan, was the last of its plans to close on Christmas Day. That's a gift to all of us, I guess. The scandal puts in jeopardy 9,000 workers in Japan and could affect the uh, global reputation of its giant owner, Toyota. Of the 64 models involved in the scandal, 24 are sold with the name Toyota on them. The closure of the Osaka plant follows closures in its production lines in Oita, Shiga, and Kyoto, 
prefectures, in case you were planning a visit. Daihatsu said this week it had stopped shipments of all of its vehicles after its latest admission, which followed an investigation by the transport ministry. Test results were falsified, according to the Beeb, because of pressure to keep production rolling. And then it had the opposite effect. Ain't that ironic? The company said it would work with its main suppliers to address the fallout from the scandal, adding it may also help its smaller subcontractors that don't receive compensation to uh, access support funds from Japan's transport ministry. So the people of Japan will be paying for this. It also said during the time plants are idle, it would compensate 423 domestic suppliers with which it has direct business relations. You know, Bizrels. Established in 1907, Daihatsu sells, sells around 1.1 million cars a year. Who knew? Toyota knew. It makes up about 10% of their vehicle sales each year. Quote, this first started in April, where the issue was about collision tests being falsified. A motor industry analyst told the BBC. Then an independent commission by by Toyota found more issues, including airbags and speed tests. The uh, industry analyst, David Bailey, went on, quote, there's no suggestion at the moment that the actual products were unsafe, but what seems to have happened is that they tested a car with components and then sold a car with different components in. So that's become... A major issue, unquote. It's become, you might say, a Daihatsu. Back in a minute. Welcome to Truth Social Audio. I'm your favorite host. And I didn't think this was possible. But I'm even prouder of my son Eric now than I was earlier than... uh, now, my, col- my holiday note has been so influential, you've noticed, is that it's so much influence that Eric has adopted it in an interesting new way. As you know, Eric runs the fabulously successful Trump Hotels chain, and it's known for its luxurious atmospheres. Now, Larry- Eric has just announced a whole different approach for this ridiculously successful hotel chain. In addition to the luxurious cocktail facilities, Trump Hotels will be introducing a brand new concept, ground floor bars with a gritty neighborhood vibrator, I mean vibe. So next time there is a Trump Hotel, and it should be soon, drop into the bar called Hell and spend a little rotting time there. You'll be glad I said you did. Now, news of the Olympic movement, produced by Jim Eckersall III. Deadline in Paris, thousands of migrants, asylum seekers, and Roma are caught up in evictions in the north Paris suburb of Saint-Denis. And those evictions are aggravating the city's homelessness problem. 
ahead of the Olympic Games. More than half of the structures being built or renovated for the Games, which start in July, are located in Saint-Saint-Denis, including the Olympic Village, now under construction, maybe to be finished. Spreading east from the River Seine and home to more than 1.6 million people, Saint-Saint-Denis is the poorest department in France. With asylum seekers in Roma taking shelter there, according to Reuters, and is the largest number of squats and informally built slums of any department in the country, according to a 2021 report by the Housing Authority. Who should know better? At least uh, 60 squats in Saint-Saint-Denis were shut down this year, according to a tally based on administrative and court documents and interviews with more than 50 squatters, lawyers, prosecutors, social workers, activists, and local politicians. This is what some advocates and some officials said appear to be a policy aimed at beautifying the area for the Olympics. The uh, prefecture, that's the interior ministry, said the squat evictions were not connected to the games, but follow normal legal procedures. They were made faster by a new law passed way back in July. It also uh, imposes large fines and prison sentences for illegal occupation. Last year, there were just under 80 squat closures. The tally of 60 evictions this year is only almost certainly an undercount, advocates say. The prefecture has not complied with a freedom of information ruling that it should provide data for squad evictions from 2018 to 2023. They're pushing the closures, more vulnerable people in, into unstable living situations after the government reduced social hotel places used for emergency housing by 1,000, roughly a 10% cut. At least three thousand people can be identified as having been affected by the squat closure. Some are ending up in the streets of Saint-Denis and other Paris districts. Others were sent to distant parts of France. You know, like Texas. The Olympic Games are adding additional pressure because there are fewer hotels renting room for social care, said Lea Filoche, the deputy mayor in Paris in charge of housing citing decisions by some hotels to be ready for an influx of visitors. The number of hotels affected could not be independently confirmed. Deputy Mayor Filoche said she had never seen so many people on the streets of Paris, especially children. Quote, if their aim is to have the games where we don't see poverty, then the plan to evict squats is not a good plan. It is stupid. They're evicting people from squats and putting them in the public space. She called on the government to requisition empty buildings, including former hospitals and offices, to house the homeless. Because it's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Couple more quotes. Mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, warns the city would not be ready to provide shelter for the homeless in time for the Olympics. The national government didn't respond to a request for comment. And Victor Drot, D-R-O-T, we'd call him Drot, Drot, he's an official in the mayor's office, said, quote, 
there is no solution in this town, unquote, citing the long backlog for social housing. It's the Olympics wherever you are. Some of the uh, people evicted from the squats were offered places in other parts of France, following a push by the national government this year to, quote, unclog, unquote, the Paris region, which has the highest demand for emergency housing in the country. Well, it's Paris. Speaking of that plan, the then housing minister earlier this year said homeless people would be relocated to other regions and linked the push to the games, saying hotels were terminating government contracts so as to welcome higher-paying tourists for the games. A lot of the replacement housing has been only temporary, meaning the uh, homeless people were homeless again in about three weeks. A national government plan for zero delinquency during the Olympics included measures to dismantle squats. Do your squats at home. Quote, people can't see slums in shanty towns. With the Olympics, we're selling the image of France abroad. That was Sebastian Pifato, a prosecutor briefed on the national government plan. The Interior Ministry will not provide information about the plan yet. As well as evictions from squats, data from Paris authorities shows they've been clearing camps set up by homeless people around the city with greater frequency. 35 camps torn down this year compared to 19 last year. While in some cases accommodation has been offered, Paris authorities have noticed a, quote, staggering, unquote, increase in homeless people sleeping near the town hall said Deputy Mayor Filoche. Services for the homeless, including food banks, showers, domiciliation services, and luggage storage, were full and in the red, she said. An agency which does some resettlement of homeless people said uh, it received instructions to only offer accommodations to vulnerable people, pregnant women, disabled people, and victims of domestic violence. They often don't even manage to do that due to lack of available spaces. Insufficient state investment in social housing over the last decade, according to Reuters, has led to the reliance on hotels to house people, making the system vulnerable. Right about now, we are very scared. We know that with the Olympic Games... There will be millions of people seeking hotel rooms, says the director of the Paris section of a foundation which advocates for secure accommodation. And now, yes it is, I believe it is, still a crypto winner. Collapsed crypto exchange FTX apparently owes more to lawyers handling its bankruptcy proceedings than it does to its creditors. It's a, according to a flurry of recent compensation filings, 
dating from December 5 to 16, they show that FTX has been billed around $1.45 billion by legal experts so far. This has now outstripped the just over $1.4 billion owed to customers who are out of pocket because of the financial dealings of FTX. Filings also show FTX has paid lawyers a total of $350 million since bankruptcy proceedings began earlier this year, and that from August to October, it shelled out somewhere in the region of $1.4 million a day. That's $118 million in total, or $53,000 every hour. These massive fees have been charged by a raft of legal firms. Would they need a raft? They could get an ocean liner for that, including Alvarez and Marshall LLC, which billed nearly $36 million. Sullivan and Cromwell billed $32 million. And another law firm, Alex Partners, charged FTC just over $13 million. And uh, it's been claimed that there are significant areas of concern surrounding the fees being charged by the firms handling the FTX bankruptcy. Meanwhile, Telcoin, a decentralized finance platform, DeFi, as it's known in the biz, and it's not a biz, has suspended its operations following an exploit. An exploit, you know what that means. It's, a, it's an uh-oh. It's a whoopsie. It resulted in the loss of approximately $1.3 million worth of crypto assets. This incident has, I'm going to quote the report here from Cryptopolitan. Yep. The incident has raised concerns among investors and the broader cryptocurrency community. Unquote. This week, Telcoin users began reporting issues with the platform's app. Concerns were initially raised through social media posts, prompting Telcoin's team to respond. In an official tweet, the team acknowledged the situation and stated, quote, We are aware of the situation with the Telcoin app. We have temporarily frozen use of the app while we look into the issue and will provide an update as soon as we can, unquote. The tweet didn't provide specific details about the nature of the problem, the exploit. Users were left to speculate that the platform had been hacked. Subsequently, a cybersecurity firm confirmed Telcoin had indeed suffered an exploit that resulted in the loss of approximately $1.3 million worth of crypto assets. The firm's announcement further fueled concerns and uncertainty among Telcoin investors, as well it should. The um, security firm PeckShield confirmed the exploit, but it didn't disclose specific details regarding how the attack was carried out or which cryptocurrencies were stolen from the platform. I'd, I'd be more interested in how to get them back. In the aftermath of the, aftermath of the exploit revelation, Telcoin's native token, TEL, experienced a sharp decline in value. Within a 24-hour period, its value plummeted by 42% during the late hours of the Christmas holiday, followed by a slight recovery before the token's value slump once more. Now comes the obvious stuff. 
The exploit and subsequent suspension of the Telcoin app have left many investors and users of the platform concerned and uncertain about the security of their assets. Lack of specific information about the nature of the attack and the crypto cryptocurrencies affected has only added to the anxiety. Telcoin's team has not provided a detailed roadmap for addressing the exploit and the loss of crypto assets. It is expected the platform will conduct a thorough investigation into the incident, expected by whom, to determine the extent of the damage and the vulnerabilities that were exploited. Additionally, Telcoin may consider implementing enhanced security measures to, to prevent similar incidents in the future and to rebuild trust among its user base. The incident has not only affected Telcoin, but has had broader implications on the cryptocurrency market. Concerns about security and the potential for similar exploits in the DeFi sector have led to increased caution among investors, resulting in a negative sentiment among various crypto assets. In other words, I'm out of here. When the bells all ring and the horns all blow And the couples we know are fondly kissing Will I be with you or will I be among the missing Maybe it's much too early in the game Just the same What are you doing New Year's New Year's Eve Wonder whose arms Will hold you good and tight When it's exactly
It's your favorite host welcoming you back to Truth Social Audio. Welcome. Stephen Miller was an incredibly valuable advisor during the most successful White House administration since maybe since Washington himself. And Stephen tells me a really interesting fact. Since as far as we know, hell is a place full of flames. Everybody says so, even the Bible. The humidity in hell is too, allow, is too low to allow for anything there to rot. Things in hell, according to Stephen, can be consumed by flame or they can burn continuously, but apparently they can't rot. So thanks to Stephen's expert advice, my Christmas message should have said, burn in hell, not rot. Probably too late for the Christmas season just passed but I promise that we'll be ready to send the right message next year. And that's a promise. Now, news of our friend, the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Yeah, whatever they said. The U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission has done some very strange regulatory commissioning. It has toned down the concerns it had raised about a safety system at a nuclear plant northwest of Columbia, South Carolina, the VC Summer Plant. Yeah, summer sounds nice there. But the agency says it will keep an eye on the facility. Why not two? You can get binocular vision that way. This is from the uh, state.com. State is a uh, South Carolina newspaper. After hearing from Dominion Energy, the Federal Oversight Agency recently reduced a yellow safety finding to a white finding. Both ratings flag concerns about the quality of the operations at the nuclear plants, but yellow findings are more serious. The NRC has had its eye on the summer plant because the power company failed for two decades to stop cracks and leaks in its backup diesel generator system. Well, that's a white, don't you think? Two decades? We have to have three decades before it gets yellow, don't you think? The system is designed to provide electricity to parts of the nuclear plant in the event of a power outage. That's right. It's a system designed to provide electricity to an electric plant. It's a nuclear plant, but it's there to provide electricity to a plant that's there to provide electricity. Proper maintenance and operation of the backup diesel generators ensures that water will continue to circulate through the reactor during an emergency without the cooling of the water. Reactor cores, as you know, can overheat and release radiation. The NRC said it downgraded the yellow finding to white after Dominion presented more evidence that the emergency diesel generator system's shortcomings were not as serious as originally thought. The power company, which owns the plant, showed that the diesel generator system, even with the problems that have been outlined, could operate for six hours during an emergency. That would give plant workers time to take additional measures to avoid a problem, according to the nuclear agency. Six hours. 
Well, it convinces me. The insight into the generator's capacity led the NRC to reassess the issue's safety significance, ultimately concluding that it posed a lower risk than initially assessed. According to the NRC spokesperson, the NRC's scale of severity for nuclear plant problems runs from green, least concern, to red, most concern. A yellow finding is the second most serious. White findings are less serious than yellow, but greater than green. Cracks and leaks involving the diesel generator system occurred on at least five occasions from 2003 to 2022. That's according to the NRC. Each time Dominion fixed the problems, but the utilities never resolved to the NRC's satisfaction, why the cracks and leaks continue to occur. The full reason for the problems remains unclear, but previous NRC reports suggested that vibrations and maintenance of the pipes that later cracked may have contributed. The problems were found during testing at the plant, so they did not occur during an actual emergency. And when I said um, utilities, plural, it's because Dominion had a predecessor, South Carolina ENG. Despite lowering the safety rating, the NRC will conduct an additional inspector at the plant, according to a letter from the agency's regional administrator, Laura Dudes. The agency will make sure the cause of the problems are fully understood and that changes made by Dominion are sufficient to ensure problems at the plant don't happen again, the letter said. This inspection aims to ensure Dominion Energy has thoroughly analyzed the root cause and implemented, and implemented effective measures to prevent reoccurrence, according to the NRC's email. In a statement this week, Dominion said it's replacing piping in the diesel generator system and has improved the design of the fuel delivery system. More resilient piping will be installed next year, the company said. Quote, Dominion Energy's commitment to safety, along with the NRC's process for regulating nuclear power stations, ensure that we continue to operate at the highest safety standards. Unquote the company. The company also noticed that one of the problems found November a year ago marked the first time in 40 years that a fuel oil leak had made an emergency diesel generator inoperable. Well, that's encouraging. Problems with cracks in the diesel generator system were uncovered at about the same time electrical problems with the system were noted that year, last year. That made the system inoperable for several weeks in 2022. The NRC said the company failed to correct the problem and did issue a white finding against Dominion. So they can do it. The history of problems with the generator system prompted one nuclear power watchdog to express reservations about the NRC's recent decision to drop the safety designation from yellow to white. Edwin Lyman, director of nuclear power safety at the Union of Concerned Scientists, said Dominion's assurances appear, appear to be, quote, pencil sharpening exercises that makes a bad situation look better on paper. Unquote. Most of the risk from the cracks and leaks 
comes from the possibility of fires that could break out, said Lyman. Quote, I think that given the length of time that this problem was ignored since at least 2003, despite warning signs, the more serious finding was warranted, Lyman said in an email. Meanwhile, there's TEPCO, the nuclear company, that uh, had the Fuk plant. It has other plants in Japan, too. Some of them have closed in the wake of the Fuk disaster. Now, according to the Japanese newspaper, the Asahi Shimbun, despite a lifting of a ban against Tokyo Electric Power for operating its nuclear power plant in Niigata Prefecture, Bringing the reactors back online isn't as simple as flicking a switch. The utility still has many obstacles ahead before it can restart the number six and number seven reactors at the Kashiwazaki Kariwa plant. Couldn't rename it while they're at it. The Nuclear Regulation Authority will continue monitoring TEPCO from early next year to ensure it is implementing what the regulator considers important priorities. Yeah, I'd inspect those too, or monitor them. These safety precautions include measures to prevent unauthorized entry into the plant, check, and the functioning of a new monitoring body under TACPO, made necessary because of sloppy handling of anti-terrorism procedures, check, TEPCO was always under a harsher focus than other utilities because of the Fook meltdown. But the utility still managed to stumble through other problems at Kashiwazaki Kariwa. Problems such as lights designed to prevent unauthorized entry not working properly and allowing a, an employee who tested positive for illicit drugs into the restricted zone at the plant. Quote, we have been betrayed by TEPCO so many times, said one veteran Niigata Prefectural Assembly member from the ruling Liberal Democratic Party. There's no indication when an evacuation plan for local communities around the plant will be completed, even though that, too, is a requirement to resume operations. Clean, cheap, safe, too safe to meet our friendly Adam.
the apologies of the week from this week. We're so sorry. Dateline Greenville, North Carolina, our well-known North Carolina civil rights activist was asked to leave a Greenville movie theater after his dispute on seating. The Greenville Police Department said the former state NAC president, Reverend William Barber, was at the movies to see the color purple. Color purple with his mother on Tuesday. Barber tried to use a specialized chair in the accessible seating area. The theater staff told him he was not allowed to do that. The staff called the police, who eventually escorted Barber out of the theater. He has a medical condition that doesn't allow him to sit in a regular chair because of hip pain. Next day, the spokesperson for AMC Theaters released a statement apologizing to Barber for the way he was treated, stating that the theater chain is reviewing its policies on accommodating guests with disabilities. We sincerely apologize to Bishop Barber for how he was treated and for the frustration and inconvenience brought to him, his family, and his guests. AMC's chairman and CEO Adam Aaron has already telephoned him and plans to meet with him in person in Greenville, North Carolina next week to discuss both this situation and the good works Bishop Barber is engaged in through the years. AMC, the statement continued, welcomes guests with disabilities. It just has a weird way of showing it. No, he didn't say that. John Cleese spent Boxing Day courting controversy on X. You know what it used to be. He posted a joke in which he compared Donald Trump and Adolf Hitler. The joke rubbed many of the comedian's followers. I guess they mean fans. It's variety is the source. The wrong way, prompting Cleese to issue several responses in which he somewhat trolled those who took his post as fact and didn't realize he was messing around. The joke featured Cleese listing five ways Hitler was preferable to Trump. One, he fought for his country. Two, he never used a teleprompter. Three, he was nice to dogs. Four, he wrote his own books. Five, he never played golf. Six, he wasn't a big fat slob. Following by, followed, followed by five ways, Trump is preferable to Hitler. One, he doesn't practice genocide. Two, he has nicer hair. Three, four, five. It was clearly a joke for Cleese. Many of his followers did not laugh. Almost immediately, he issued an apology post. Quote, I would like to apologize for my last tweet. It was a very bad joke, especially on Boxing Day. Cleese surely knew backlash was inevitable and wanted to get ahead of it. And so he did. Dayline Boston, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu issued a formal apology this week to two black men who were wrongly accused in the 1989 murder of a white woman. That <laughs> never happens. A case that coarsened divisions in a city long split along, along racial lines. That's the AP talking. I can confirm that from my one year there. And renewed suspicion and anger directed at the police department by the city's black community. I am so sorry for what you endured, the mayor said during a news conference. I am so sorry for the pain that you have carried for so many years. Alan Swanson and Willie Bennett were wrongly named as suspects in the October, October 23, 1989 death of Carol Stewart, whose husband, Charles Stewart, had in fact orchestrated her killing. Stewart, who was also white, blamed his wife's killing 
and his own shooting during what he portrayed as an attempted carjacking on an unidentified black gunman, leading to a crackdown by police in one of the city's traditionally black neighborhoods in pursuit of a phantom assailant. Quote, we are here today to acknowledge the tremendous pain the city of Boston inflicted on black residents throughout our neighborhoods 34 years ago, Wu said, handing both families a written apology. The mayor's office, city officials, and the Boston Police Department took actions that directly harmed these families and continue to impact the larger community, reopening a wound that has gone untended for decades, she added. Wu said that in response to the killing of Carol Stewart and her unborn baby and acting on a false racist claim, framing a black man for her death, the city launched a systemic campaign targeting black men across the city. Wu said there was no evidence a black man committed the crime, but the story was one that confirmed and exposed the beliefs so many shared. Boston Police Commissioner Michael Cox also acknowledged the failings of police at the time. Quote, as Commissioner, I apologize for the hurt, pain, and suffering experienced by everyone affected by the Boston Police Department for their poor investigation, overzealous behavior, and more likely, more than likely, unconstitutional behavior. The nephew of one of the victims, said, quote, your apology is accepted as he embraced the mayor. Kanye West, who has made repeated anti-Semitic remarks, posted an apology to the Jewish community for any, quote, unintended outburst caused by his words or actions, unquote. The uh, artist Yes, we're still talking about Kanye West, who has now legally changed his name to Ye, hear ye, shared the message written in Hebrew in an Instagram post just days ahead of his expected release of new music. Isn't that the nuttiest coincidence you've ever... It was never my intention to hurt or disrespect. Ye's message read, now translated to English, and I deeply regret any pain I may have caused. Unquote. He said he's committed to learning and ensuring greater sensitivity and understanding in the future. Adding he is, quote, dedicated to making amends and working toward promoting unity, unquote. That sounds like he, doesn't it? The Anti-Defamation League replied, after causing untold damage by using his vast influence and platform to poison countless minds, with vicious anti-Semitism and hate, and hate, an apology in Hebrew may be the first step on a long journey towards making amends to the Jewish community and those he is hurt. Ultimately, actions will speak louder than words, but this initial act of contrition is welcome. Unquote. The uh, ADL. The uh, upcoming release of music called Vultures includes a song by that name, uh, B.A. was recorded singing that song at a nightclub in, D- in Dubai a couple of weeks ago. And um, recording of his performance sparked criticism over the lyrics, quote, How I'm anti-Semitic? I just effed a Jewish bitch. 
unquote. Why do we pay attention to Elon Musk, Donald Trump, and Yee? That's my question. They're the same guy, aren't they? Takasha Maya Company, it's a Japanese department store chain, I do believe, has apologized for spoiling the holidays of hundreds of customers nationwide who were delivered broken Christmas cakes. Says it was unable to identify the source of the malfunction. This from the Asasi Shimbun. We deeply apologize for failing to meet the expectations of many customers and causing concern to many consumers, said the senior managing director at the department store chain, before bowing deeply for about 10 seconds. The, uh, the night of the day after Christmas, Takashimaya found that 807 of the 2,800 frozen strawberry cakes sold online had tumbled when they were delivered to customers from Hokkaido in the north to Okinawa Prefecture in the south. The company received 1,200 complaints and inquiries from customers. The company said it's impossible to pinpoint the cause of the mishap after a comprehensive review. We take full responsibility for our customers and for our failure to establish a management system that would allow us to identify the cause of the problem. Unquote. The Takashimaya spokesperson. Fox News got into the apologies this week. And of course not. Anyone who watches late night TV, according to uh, Deadline, knows that 55-year-old Frank Thomas is alive and thriving, the former White House slugger and three-time MLB All-Star, is nearly ubiquitous in male supplement commercials. Well, that's why you get into baseball in the first place, isn't it? Be able to... But during a segment on Fox's The Faulkner Focus, they do like their alliteration at Fox, Thomas was shown with his year of birth and alleged year of death as 2023. But it was another Frank Thomas who died. The actual deceased Thomas was born in 1929, died earlier this year, or last year, really early, January 16th. The deceased Thomas was a three-time All-Star for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They like alliteration, too. To its credit, the network quickly uh, corrected the gaffe. Quote, we also need to quickly issue a correction in the in-memoriam feature that we showed her just a few minutes ago, said the guest anchor, we misidentified the late Frank Thomas, the three-time All-Star for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Frank Thomas we showed you, unfortunately, was also a former pro baseball player. He is very much alive. We apologize for that mistake, unquote. The living Frank Thomas was not happy with the misidentification. Hours later, he posted to... X calling Fox News irresponsible for the mistake. Might lead to some unsold mail supplements. Now we switch focus to Russia. I know this sounds like somewhere here in the United States, but it's Russia, where they have influencers too. Take TV presenter and influencer Anastasia Ivliva, please. She's already apologized twice for hosting an almost naked party in a Moscow club 
that sparked a backlash in wartime Russia. This uh, report is from the BBC. Now, Leftovo court in Moscow has imposed a $1,100 fine on her for arranging the almost naked party. I would like to ask you, the people, for a second chance, she pleaded in an Instagram video this week. She was convicted of organizing a mass presence that violated public order. But uh, the fine may not be the end of her public humiliation. A remorseful Ivliva has already promised to donate the proceeds of ticket sales to charities. But another court has registered a billion-ruble class-action lawsuit against her for moral damage, signed by 22 people who wanted to hand the billion rubles to a group that donates money to Russians fighting in Ukraine. Oh, yes, they're all hepped up over that, are they? After the party held on the 20th of November, sorry, December, at Moscow's Mutabor nightclub, video emerged of well-known Russian celebrities dressed in underwear and lingerie, and in one case, a strategically placed sock and a pair of shoes. What had been a private party quickly became a public property amid a wartime climate of increasing intolerance, says the Beeb. It also served as a distraction from anger at the rising price of eggs. Several apologies followed. Former Eurovision singer Dima Bilan, TV presenter Ksenia Sobchak, have said sorry. So-called king of Russian pop Filip Kirkorov was profuse in his apology as profuse as any of his fellow guests, saying simply, quote, there are moments in everyone's life when you, can w- when you walk through the wrong door. Widely regarded as President Putin's favorite singer, Kukarov appealed for his mistake not to affect his career in Russia. The only country I exist in as an artist and a citizen, unquote. The Kremlin has meanwhile distanced itself from the outcry said spokesman Dmitry Peskov. Let you and I be the only ones in the country who aren't discussing this topic. Unquote. And Dateline Ypsilanti, Michigan, Eastern Michigan's athletic director apologized to South Alabama a day after an Eastern Michigan player raced onto the field after the 68 Ventures Bowl and punched an opposing player in the head, sparking a brawl. The confrontation happened as South Alabama's players, cheer squad, and band lined up to sing the school song following a 59-10 rout of Eastern Michigan on its home field. An unidentified Eastern Michigan player charged into the group and punched a South Alabama player in the back of the head. Another South Alabama player dragged the EMU player onto the field sparking a free-for-all among members of both teams as smaller skirmishes also broke out. The uh, game will be known in the future as the Punch Bowl. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature is broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've had a week to absorb the news of my 80th birthday, and I want to just thank all y'all for um, your good wishes on that occasion. Because it is an occasion. It's not an event, it's just an occasion. And on that note of um, spurious information, I will be closing this edition of the show for the week. Back next week, same time, same radio station, or back whenever you want it, on your audio device of choice. Love to have you along with us. And there is no us, there's just me. No, there is, there's us, there's Thomas Walsh at uh, WWNO New Orleans. There's Pam Halstead. There's the San Diego desk. There's the Hawaii desk. Why, it's, it's a mini multitude. The uh, email address for this program, your chance to get... Do we any have card-sized T-shirts left? Well, you can get the um, music playlist of what you hear here and all sorts of stuff to read and watch and listen to and enjoy. All at harryshearer.com. And is there a new Twitter yet? The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. Happy New Year. So long from the Crescent City. And do whatever you want in hell. It's the whole idea. <laughs>